Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back out of the seat, to the track, to the wall, it's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center, and he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to our show. This week, we'll get to know more about Blake Snell. It starts again today. We'll chat with Jake McGee about seeing his former team. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joins us from Oakland. Justin Marks discusses his no-hitter for AAA Durham. We'll talk pitching with Andy Sonnenstein and look at Hall of Fame Day with Hal Bodley of MLB.com. We continue on this week in race baseball, and our featured guest this week is Blake Snell. And, Blake, you've now had close to a full month in the major leagues. What have you enjoyed most about it, and what's been the biggest difference for you? Uh, I've enjoyed the competition. Just uh, it's the best of the best. Um, the teams that we've been playing are really good, and it's a lot to learn from. What have you learned from uh, the talent level and the difference? You said best of the best. How much different is it? I would say it's a lot. I feel uh, approaches are better. I see hitters kind of see things out of my hands better. Sometimes I feel like I almost want to tell myself they're auto-taking because it's like I felt like it was that good of a pitch. But, no, it's uh, it's a lot, and it's cool to be here every day to really just focus on the game and learn every single day. How quick is the rate at which you're learning? Because I'm sure it the minor league level you're focused on getting there and there are people who say well this will work in the majors this won't work in the majors now you get to see it firsthand yeah um i'd say i'm learning pretty quick um every game there's a lot to take away and really just learn from and be honest with myself on my performance on what i'm seeing and that allows me to be that much better the one thing you also get to do at the major league level is you get to hit in a National League ballpark. Describe your hitting skills for me. Uh, for a pitcher, I'd say it's in the middle. For a hitter, pretty bad. <laughs> Before hitting in a game out on the West Coast, when was the last time you had hit? Uh, last time I hit was summer ball. That was the day before I came out to Florida. So that was the last time I hit and haven't picked up a bat since. <laughs> And your hitting skills at the time would be, how would you, scouting report, give me a comp for Blake Snell offensively. I would say good average, but, um, yeah, not not doing anything special. <laughs> In past years, it was always thought that when pitchers got to hit, they also gained an appreciation for how hard it is to hit, and they challenged more in the zone after that. Do you think that's possible that you can kind of learn from that, from having to hit and facing 90, 95 miles an hour? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, just being able to see it, see what the hitters have to go up against every day, and then being honest with what you're facing and then what you have, you can also, I think it'll be you'll be more honest with how your stuff plays, just seeing what what you just saw hitting, so... I could see that. I'm kind of interested to see it myself, though. Part of the trip, well, this full trip is West Coast. Do you have more family and friends than for this trip coming out to see you than you would others? Yeah, I would say I have. I'll have a bunch when we go to 
California, so in Oakland, L.A., I'll have a lot come out there, so I'm pretty excited for that. But this will probably be my biggest family-friend trip. Obviously, having had the chance to go to Seattle and play in your in your backyard, you get to face them at home. But what does it mean to kind of be back out on the West Coast, and, and how important was that in becoming the person you are now? Yeah, um, I'm definitely excited about it. I love it over there. It's something that I really enjoy. And um, I think uh, the Northwest had a lot to do with the person that I am and the way that I am and how I carry myself. So I definitely think it's a big part of me. Blake Snell with us on this week in Rays Baseball. What's been the best moment so far for you at the, the major league level? I would just say hanging out with my teammates, kind of learning from them because they've the starting staff's had a lot of experience. The whole team's had a lot of experience. I have little experience. So being able to hang out with those guys, learn from them, and it's really been a, a blast for me. The hitters that you face certainly are quite talented, and you haven't faced many of them multiple times in terms of multiple games. But is there anyone who you appreciated facing or learned or, or, or gained a greater appreciation for their talent when facing them? Uh, yeah, I'd say David Ortiz. He's a lot better than I was anticipating. I thought he was really good. I didn't know he was that good. So I was really excited about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, every hitter is good, and every hitter brings something different than the next hitter. So I'm definitely more interested to see their approach the second time I face him, the third time I face him. Because I see as I go through one game of facing them two to three times, I can see what they've adjusted to. But having a, f- a full game against me and then another game to have more at-bats, I'm excited to see what what that will bring. What did he do specifically that was maybe, I don't know if unexpected is the right word, but impressed you? Um, his first at-bat, I didn't feel. I felt like he saw a pitch that he liked, swung at it, and then I felt like the next at-bat, I threw the same pitch, but it was it was a fastball that he hit. Um, away, and then I threw a slider away, but in the same spot as the fastball, but it was fading at then, and he literally just, he didn't even, like, take the bat off the shoulder. So seeing that was cool, because now I know i got to be more in the zone with it. And then now I'm more excited the next time I face him on what I have to do to be that much better against him. Obviously, you're learning a great deal from the way you've described that. You know, your dad was your Little League coach, right, and your high school coach. What has he meant to you in terms of your growth? Yeah, he wasn't my high school coach. He was my he like he helped me throughout high school, and he was my summer league coach. But no, my dad, uh, he I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for him. I truly believe that. Uh, he helped me my whole life with pitching. Still does to this day. He'll still say little things, but he lets me be free and lets me learn from other coaches, which is awesome. And uh, I would say without him, I would definitely I don't I don't feel I'd be here, especially because how much how much he put into making me the player that I am today. And he played professional baseball for several years at the minor league level and is currently a coach. Was he a tough coach on you when he did coach you in summer ball? What was he like as a, obviously you have a great appreciation as a dad. How was he as a coach being also, you know, son? Yeah, it was, uh, when we played, when I played for him, he was more of a coach than a dad. So um, I feel like he was hard on me, but he wasn't hard to the point where I was like, done with it or anything like that so I definitely did appreciate having him as a coach and when he didn't coach me for a couple years it made me miss him and realize how good of a coach he really was when you play at the big league level how often do you talk about the actual games now that you've pitched and how much is about something else I would say after every start 
and going into my, my starts, I talked to him and my older brother a pretty good amount about it, just talking, just airing everything out that I have in my head about who I'm facing, what I, what I think I'm going to do, what they think I should do, and just kind of just throwing it out there, seeing what, what we all think works, and then we kind of just all agree on what I think I'm going to do, and I go into the game, and I'll talk with Hickey and my catcher at the time, and then that's when we finally get the game plan. We talked last year, very early in the year, about, I don't know if you'd call it a come-to-Jesus moment, but a, a moment as a family where they kind of pushed you to kind of raise your game. Do they believe there's a whole lot more in there still? Yeah, um, they definitely do. Um, I feel there's a lot more in here. I feel there's a lot more that I need to learn. There's a lot more that I can learn from my teammates who have been here. So I'm definitely excited for what's in the future, and I know that it's going to take a long time to get there, just as I did last year. I felt there's a lot. I, I accomplished what I wanted to, but there's still a lot more that I'm chasing. So I'm definitely excited to just really stay hungry and keep going after it. I, um, you know, you, we had spoke in joking terms about your hitting abilities, but were you always a pitcher, and were you always someone who wanted to pitch when you were a kid? Uh, I always enjoyed hitting. That was the funny part. I enjoyed hitting and uh, all the way up. Uh, I really did enjoy pitching because I was really dominant coming up. But, um, yeah, I always enjoyed hitting, but I just knew I was a way better pitcher. You had a dog named Junior, so I figured at some point he had to think more offense than, than on the mound. Yeah, no, he, uh, yeah, after Griffey, so it is pretty cool that I got I to gotta watch him coming up, and then I named my dog after him. Maybe my next dog would be, like, Cy or... <laughs> We'll kind of have to figure that out. <laughs> Did you have a pitcher, though, as you were evolving that you really enjoyed watching? And if so, who? I would say uh, Randy Johnson was someone that I always watched. But one of my favorite players is Hank Conger <laughs> and Brad Miller. <laughs> Again, we're chatting with Blake Snell in this week in Race Baseball. Fun stuff for you, your sneaker collection. Yeah. All right. You've got... The media guide says 200 to 250 pair. Is it beyond that now, or where are we at? I'll say we're sitting at 250 right now. I haven't really purchased a lot lately. I've been kind of busy, but definitely soon I'll be making some more purchases. All right. Is this all stuff that you wear, or are they like kind of just you cat? What, what, what's this collection look like, and how big is the room you got to keep it in now? It's my bedroom, and it's along the whole, all the walls. And then in my closet, it's completely packed with shoes and uh, on the floor as well. So it's getting out of hand. That's why I kind of slowed down. But, um, yeah, I have shoes that I wear, shoes that I don't wear, shoes that are just what you would call dead stock that just sit there. And really, they just collect dust. But it's something that I like to look at. It's something that I've just really enjoyed doing throughout my since I was in seventh grade. And I don't know what it is. I just get a feeling of when I like having a lot of shoes because then it can go with any outfit that I pick out. So are they mostly shoes or sneakers? or sneakers. Some... It's mostly like Nikes, Jordans, and then that's really about it. I don't go outside of the Nike. Your favorite one? Yeah, the Air Jordan 11 is my favorite. I have two to three pairs of pretty much every colorway that's came out, so pretty excited about that. <laughs> Do they have one in, in raised colors that, that matches? Yeah, they have an all-baby blue pair, but I'm not going to wear those out here. <laughs> and and what's something that needs to be added to, if, if you're going to add something, you said you may, what gets added to the list? 
Uh, more rare, like Jordan shoes that come out, like the OVO 12s are coming out. You probably don't have a clue what that is, but they're, uh, they're really nice shoes and they're hard to get. Have you met Michael Jordan yet and let him know your, your fondness of his shoes? I haven't, but if there's any way you can make that happen, I'll be really appreciative of it. I guess we'll have to work the social media angle. Hey, since you grew up in, in the Seattle area, I'm curious as to your musical tastes because uh, at least you indicated when you went on Ray's Rookies the Kids show that you had some rapping abilities. Yeah, uh, I would say I like Bryson Taylor a lot. I'm more of like an R&B, hip-hop kind of guy, but I listen to everything. I grew up, my dad listened to rock and roll, so that's kind of what I grew up on, but I fell in love with R&B and hip-hop. And right now the guys is like Bryson Taylor, Drake, Rihanna, she's beautiful. Um, but yeah, just chris brown it just kind of goes and being from the seattle area the grunge never interest you never no nah, it, it like i like some songs my dad would play them as i was growing up and i had to listen to them so i kind of started liking them but it's not something that i really go into but i do like chris cornell a whole lot all right we got we've got we've got a wide array from blake snell let's look forward five years from now your major league career what are we saying about Blake Snell? What do you want people to say about Blake Snell five years from now? Uh, I just want him to say that he enjoys the game. He's always looking to get better. Um, and that he never changed his approach. He was just the same guy, came to the field, ready to go, always intrigued to learn, and was a good teammate. Well, continued success as a teammate and at the major league level. We appreciate a few minutes on this week in race baseball. Thank you. Appreciate it, Neil. That's Blake Snell. We continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Welcome back to this week in Race Baseball. You just heard from one lefty in Blake Snell. Well, the Rays' all-time leader in appearances, Jake McGee, reunited this week with former mates when Tampa Bay visited Colorado. And I asked McGee what it was like when he first learned he was traded. Um, I learned the day of. Um, I saw, actually saw it on Twitter. Uh, my dad saw it on Twitter, and um, I didn't really hear anything about it, and I heard that the deal wasn't actually, like, finished yet. Um, it just kind of got out a little early, so that was a little surprising. So I had to kind of kind of waiting game until, like, 7 o'clock that night is, um, is when Matt Silverman called me and told me I got traded to the Rockies. And then it was kind of a whirlwind of phone calls the rest of that night and the next few days. How surprised were you at the whole, the whole thing, or were you kind of anticipating the possibility going into the offseason? Uh, I didn't take Anticipated a little bit, um, but at the same time, I was kind of expecting maybe the trade deadline of the next year. But um, you know, I just knew it was going to happen eventually within within the year, probably. And then it just kind of caught me off guard a little bit. But it's almost better to get traded in the offseason than during the season. It seems like, especially from a family standpoint, how's your family adjusted to a new environment? I know it does put you a little bit closer to family. Uh, yeah, it's nice being a little closer to family, um, going to San Francisco three times, only a few hours from my house. But uh, me and my family, we've transitioned really well. We rent a nice house here in Denver, and, you know, we're getting, getting acclimated. Denver's a really nice city. What were your best moments with the Rays organization? Obviously, you spent, you know, more than a decade with this organization from minors to majors. Um, let's see, probably one of the best moments is probably when, uh, I got the win in game 162 and going out there and getting out of a jam and then getting back in the dugout and Longo hitting the home run and us going to the playoffs is, is pretty surreal being 
in that moment and being the winning pitcher of that game, I'm always, always going to remember that. Did you even think that game you had a chance to pitch the way it started? Oh, I didn't think so at all because I think I pitched the night, I pitched the night before and got to win the night before, and then I was like, all right, I threw a lot of pitches I might not pitch tonight, and then before you know it, it was seven nothing, and where everyone was like, oh, we're going home, and then we just started getting hits and scoring runs, and all of a sudden we knew it was tied and went into extra innings. Who have you stayed in touch with with during the course of the season? Who are you still close to? Uh, I'm still pretty close to Brad Boxberger. I uh, saw Logan Forsythe. And then, um, let's see, and I talked to Alex Cobb here and there. Um, but other than that, I was talking to kind of keep in touch with the guys when I can here and there. It's been been good to catch up with them here and see all of them yesterday. Is it nice that you got to, that you're in a, a division where you don't see them that much versus having to play against them a lot? Uh, yeah, I think it makes it a little easier not having to be in the same division and play them, you know, same division 18, 19 times, so. Um, it's kind of good, but at the same time, it'll be a fun challenge to face them and you know see how I do against them. Tell me who's made it easier to adjust to a new organization. You know, who in the Rockies organization has been extremely helpful because it was it's the first time you're outside the race organization and group. Um, Bradich, uh, the GM here, helped out a lot and kind of when I first talked to him, talked to him for like half an hour and then um, kind of let me know how the organization runs and everything and. Just from the start of camp, everything's been awesome. Um, getting to know some of the older guys here who are still in the clubhouse, like Vinny Castilla, uh, Pedro Stasio, like some of the older guys, you know, it's pretty good to get to know them. And then I've got well acquainted with some of the older bullpen guys, too, like Chad Qualls and Jason Mott and Boone Logan. Those guys have gotten pretty close to them. It's been a pretty fun bullpen. Some of those guys that you mentioned have pitched in both the American and National League. Now that you're experiencing it for the first time, what is the biggest difference that you've noticed between American and National? Um, I think National League, they're a little less patient. They swing a lot more. They swing a little earlier. Um, the American League seems like they take a lot more pitches. and um, They swing and miss a little more in the American League. In the National League, they're a little more small ball, football, and playing stuff. So. How, about, how about Coors Field, now that you've experienced a bit of it? Is it much of a difference for you because you're primarily a fastball pitcher? Um, it's a little different. I've noticed, noticed little things here and there. Um, it's just a lot of outfield here, so sometimes you'll get a little few like blue pits, and there's a guy in first, there'll be a blue pit, and he'll get to third, and it's just kind of little things like that. But, you know, at the same time, it's kind of have to locate the ball anywhere you pitch. And that is Jake McGee, and we certainly wish him well with the Colorado Rockies. Right now, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. Tampa Bay Sports Radio. This one's on its way. And gone. 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. We continue on this week in Rays baseball looking at the minor league side. Eight days ago, veteran Justin Marks threw a no-hitter for AAA Durham. Marks was named IL Pitcher of the Week, and I asked him what the no-hitter meant to him. You know, I think it meant a lot. Um, you know, looking back on it now, having a kind of a week to kind of reflect on it and look back, um, you know, it's just such a fun experience, uh, especially to do it at this point in my career. And, uh, you know, it's just been, uh, it's been a huge morale booster for our team. Uh, you know, it was just an awesome experience for everybody, not only me. How did you feel going into that day, or how did you feel before you threw your first pitch on the mound that game? Normal, normal day. You know, it wasn't anything special about it. Uh, 
even going through my routine, the bullpen, everything was pretty normal. Um, I don't ever, I don't ever want to, you know, read too much into um, my bullpen or anything like that. So everything felt pretty normal. You know, it wasn't really until later on in the game that I uh, that I noticed that you know things were starting to kind of work out. And I had a chance to get the no hitter. So when did you start? You said later in the game, but when did you actually look up and go, "Wow, I got this going"? And when did you start thinking about it? I was aware of it from from the beginning. Um, you know, from the beginning, I was aware of it, but it was it didn't really. Uh, it didn't really, um, it didn't really hit home until around the sixth or seventh inning. Did you find anyone treating you different in the dugout, staying away from you? How was all that? I'm sure. <laughs> and had you ever been, maybe not personally part of one, but on a team where somebody threw one? And, and what was that all like? Not at this level. I hadn't been a part of one. No. I mean, I think I've been a part of uh, combined no hitters, and those are just you know they're exciting as well. Um, but I've never been a part of uh, just a, you know uh, one guy out there throwing a no hitter, and um, you could tell people's managers definitely changed later on in the game. They didn't want to, you know, uh, they didn't know whether to high five me when I came in the dugout or uh, just kind of leave me alone, you know. So uh, it was fun. So tell me what was working for you that day. Obviously, regardless of the circumstances, to be able to go nine innings without allowing a hit, you have to be doing something right. Um, I think just being able to command all four pitches uh, for strikes. And to um, really uh, trust my catch brother, Hank did such a really such a great job uh, calling pitches, and and uh, you know for him to be back there the first time catching me and uh, to be that confident um, in itself, and then kind of instill the confidence in me was a huge thing, and it played a huge role in throwing the no hitter. To throw 130 pitches is also where at a minor league game. Did you think you'd have the chance to complete it? What were the discussions like in the dugout with you and Kyle and Jared? Uh, there were no discussions during the dugout uh, during that day, but I guess it, it, it was really good timing on um, I should throw the no-hitter because a week before that, I went up to Snyder and I told him, you know, if you ever have any reservations uh, about throwing me 120 pitches or 110 you know, or whatever it is, you know, don't, don't feel like uh, that I can't do that. Uh, I feel comfortable, you know, when I'm up there. Well, you know, I guess it just depends on the workload too, but um, – We'd had a discussion just so, you know, he's like, hey, how do you feel going 110? I said, I was perfectly fine. I was like, I, honestly, it doesn't bother me to go that many pitches. And uh, he told me after the game that was definitely weighing on his mind, the conversation we had. Because I know it can't be easy for a manager or a pitching coach um, to let a pitcher go out there and throw that many at this level. And, um, you know, I definitely appreciated them letting me do that. Can you put into context or put into words what you felt when you got that last strikeout to complete it? Uh, I can, you know, I really can. I think um, that's something that it's, uh, it really is just kind of sinking in. It was such a surreal moment that uh, I think if you talk to any pitcher uh, that's played the game this long, it's something that you think about. Um, I wouldn't say all the time, but it's a thought that crosses my mind uh, quite often. If you're laying a bed before a start or when you're getting up and you're just thinking about the feeling of being able to throw a no-hitter, um, that is something that crosses your mind. That's kind of one of them fantasy thoughts. And to be able to do it um, – and in the game with that strikeout um, was a really surreal moment. Uh, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel like that. Did that just happen? You know, did that uh, you know, did we just did we just do that? So um, I don't have the words to do it except for it was just uh, an amazing experience. You said that 130. You know, you could throw more pitches. You told that to Kyle earlier before your start. Once you got through 130 and got through the game, was it was it more of an impact on you physically at all? What did you think after the fact? Arm-wise, no, I think, um, and I don't know if this was just because of all the excitement and, 
just maybe being dehydrated as far as the workload and sweating so much. I felt it the next day as far as, far as my body goes. My legs were, weren't underneath me. My back was a little tight. Um, arm-wise, it felt pretty standard. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in it. Uh, you know, if you don't have a, a high-stress situations out there, your body's more relaxed when you're throwing. Um, it's a lot different than, you know, I'm sure I'll be a lot sore tomorrow than I was uh, after my game the uh, last week. You know, I threw probably 96 pitches in five innings, but it was a really high stress, a lot of walks, a lot of trying to get out of jams. And, you know, the game before that, it wasn't that. It was a lot of, it was effortless. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'm hoping that's the case. In terms of your career, you've gotten to the big leagues, so where does the no-hitter then rank? Somebody asked me that last week, and I didn't know what to tell them. But, uh, you know, honestly, um, for me, I don't want to put it on a pedestal and say that it's everything, but it was just such a cool moment, you know, and I don't really know where it stands as far as is it better than making your debut? Is it, is it uh, you know, better than going to the College World Series? Or is it better that, you know, different things like that? Um, you know, it's such a, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just, uh, I don't know where to rank it at, but it's, it's up there. It really is. And I know it doesn't impact, you know, what, what the Rays, you know, in terms of, oh, you threw a no-hitter, you, therefore, you know, you get moved up. But what does it do right. for your confidence in terms of, you know, the effort that you put out there? And, and I know you started the year, uh, if I remember right, on the DL. Um, to have this kind of, you know, to have that kind of effort, what does it do for your season going forward? I think it does a lot for our team. Uh, the confidence in me is there, you know. I, after that, have, having thrown that, you know, I think as a baseball, and you know this as well, but, you know, so many things have to go right for a no-hitter. So to say that just because you're, you know, you dominated uh, an outing, it doesn't, you know, it <laughs> mean uh, that's, that's the reason you deserve that no-hitter. You know, the no-hitter happened because there were some great plays made. Uh, they hit the ball hard at some people, and after that, you know, I just kind of took advantage of it. Um, you know, I just hope to build off of it. You know, I just now threw my my uh, my first start after the no hitter, and I go out there today, and the first inning went great, and the second inning I just kind of lost it, and I was able to battle through it. Um, you know, so I don't know. I I don't know how it, how it affects it in the future, but I know that uh, it was great for our team, and and uh, we've won some games after it. And, you know, I feel good and feel confident, so I hope we can just keep on carrying it, on, carrying it on. And that is Justin Marks, who eight days ago threw a no-hitter. We turn now from the minor league side to the major league side, and joining us from Oakland is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, thanks very much for a few minutes. Anytime, Neil. You know it's always the highlight of my week. The highlight of my week is Sundays because I get to read the, the big spread that you put out in the Tampa Bay Times. And this week, no surprise, it was on trades. And hopefully people will go take a look at the stories that you wrote today about guys who were traded and their interesting stories in the way they found out. Of the ones that you discovered, what was the most interesting one to you and why? Well, I think uh, Steven Souza Jr. getting uh, pulled, literally pulled out of an MRI tube, and, and he wasn't told at the moment of the trade, but he was told at the moment that he wasn't going to get the shot he was supposed to get and to go back to his hotel. The doctor couldn't tell him why, and that was crazy. And if you know Steven Souza Jr., he's a little bit of the uh, hyperactive side to begin mm-hmm. with, and then he went back and sat in his hotel room for six hours basically looking at his phone, and I can only imagine how that came down. Uh, for him, but Chris Archer had a good story with he was actually at the MLB symposium, rookie symposium uh, outside of Washington D.C. with the Cubs people, with the Cubs representatives, and then he gets told he's traded to the Rays. So he kind of walks across the room and he sits at the Rays table for the rest of the meeting that night, and and then he goes to uh, Tampa the next day for his physical. So there were a number of good stories on that, and uh, I think it's always interesting in baseball. You know, it just shows you anytime that phone rings, you don't know what it's going to mean. 
There is a human side, an element to this, too, which you touched on, too. What are your expectations? I mean, we're now, what, eight days away from the trading deadline. What do you think is going to happen or what's most likely in your mind from covering this day-to-day? Well, you know, Neil, I, I think, you know, first of all, anticipate a ton more rumors as the week goes forward. We've already seen the Rays, you know, and I, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the Rays were going to be kind of uh, ground zero for trade rumors because they have so many pitchers and there's such a dearth in the market elsewhere. elsewhere. And, you know, we've seen rumors about Matt Moore, Jake Odorizzi, Chris Archer, Erasmo Ramirez. I think you're going to see Xavier Cedeno's name out there a little bit uh, just from the pitching side. And even I've been told they've gotten some calls on Drew Smiley. Obviously, the team's looking to buy low in that situation. I'd be surprised there. Uh, Steve Pierce is another name that's getting talked about, and I think you'll probably see him traded. So what, what do I think is going to happen? I think there's going to be a lot of talk. I think going to Dodger Stadium this week with the mm-hmm. Dodgers being hot for pitchers, with Andrew Friedman being there, is just going to kind of let this fester and, and maybe even you know explode to where there's going to be all kinds of crazy One of the pitchers today was joking they should all go stand with Friedman just to get all the cameras buzzing and that kind of thing. And, and what will eventually happen my guess is that by next Monday, and this is just my guess, you know, talking to people and, and kind of putting two and two together and trying to come up with 18 or something. But I think Steve Pierce will get traded as long as he shows he's healthy. I think Erasmo will get traded because he's valuable to teams that can find a starter, need him as a starter or as a reliever or both, could get him as a starter for the regular season, put him in the bullpen for the postseason. There's a lot of value Erasmo Ramirez could have. And I still think one of those starting pitchers is going to get traded. That's just what the Rays do. Look at their history. They've traded James Shields. They've traded David Price. They've traded Matt Garza. They've traded Jeremy Hellickson. They've got Cobb and Whitley coming back. They've got Jake Faria coming up. They've got Matt Andrees sitting in the bullpen. I mean, they've got starting depth. So I I just think the market's going to be rich enough that they're going to trade one of those starters. And how much of it is due to the market? Because, you know, you also look forward, and the free agent market is not great this year. In fact, one would call it one of the worst free agent classes ever. Is there any chance in your mind they wait just because of how good the, how, how weak the free agent class is? Or or do they strike now where teams may get a little desperate? Well, that, that probably ultimately, Neil, and as usual, you've boiled it down to the exact right question there. If you're the Rays, is... You know, they don't have to deal now. So if they feel like they're getting enough and then that bar for enough is going to be high, then I think they trade one of these guys now. If they don't feel like they're getting enough, they're not in a position where they have to move a guy. They don't have to shed salary. They don't have to create spots. I mean, obviously it'll be easier to fit Cobb or Whitley in if they do, but they don't have to. They can figure that out. Then they wait till the off season because you're right. Then, then the old adage is if you're trading in July – Teams are going to be more desperate and more likely to overpay, but you're dealing with a much smaller group of teams. There's only going to be you know six or eight or ten teams that need a starting pitcher right now that are contenders. If you wait till the off season, you might get 28 or 29 teams that you can at least talk to about any specific player, but they may not be as desperate. If you're trying to make a bigger deal, like a Chris Archer type of deal, that might be more likely to happen in the off season because teams can kind of be more uh, thoughtful and, and more creative, whereas on a deadline situation, it's harder to put together, you know, let's say, a three-team deal like we've seen the Rays do in the past. You wrote a pretty good analysis piece as well on Evan Longoria, and in your mind, the Rays not trading him. Was that, I mean, I was kind of surprised at the, well, maybe not surprised, but the national rumors that came about this week. I mean, they basically wrote the story and said, but we don't think he's getting traded. What was the point in writing it to begin with? Not you, but them. No, I, I agree, and, and you know, again, I don't, I don't want to speak ill of any of you know my colleagues in our business, but this is a time of year when, uh, especially some of the people on a national platform, especially because of you know all the social media platforms involved, 
there's a need to constantly come up with something new, something different, to kind of churn it, to, to put a new spin on things. And, and I think the article you're referring to or the piece you're referring to was essentially that it was, boy, Longoria, that would make sense. The Rays could trade him both. The Dodgers would be a good fit. <laughs> He's from there. And it looked like the writer then actually asked a few people and was told, no, that's really not something that's going to happen, but went ahead and wrote it anyway. So, you know, again, everyone is, is trying to you know, get that buzz, get the clicks, get the attention, get the credit on MLB trade rumors. There's a lot of media people motivated by different things right now, but I think ultimately what you should be most motivated by is getting the truth and finding out what you can, and sometimes you can't. I mean, look, the Rays have a policy. They don't comment on trade rumors, and trust me, I have tried to challenge that policy <laughs> over the years, and Andrew Friedman had that same rule. Matt Silverman has that same rule, and you know it's just something that it makes it frustrating. Sometimes misinformation gets out there, and, and you know here's another thing, Neil. Sometimes teams put misinformation out there. They want to throw other teams off the track. They want to see how teams react to a rumor by floating a different name. And you know if you're let's just say you're trying to trade more Odorizzi, but you float Archer's name out there just to see how much bigger is the return, or you know what's the gauge? How do teams view them differently? How much more would they pay? for one than the other, and maybe that's a way to drive the market on your other guy when you pull the first guy back. Certainly interesting stuff, and good luck following it, because I know it's going to be a busy eight days for you. We certainly appreciate a few minutes from Oakland today on this week in race baseball. Anytime, Neil. You got it. That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Hey, if you're looking for an outing for friends, family, or coworkers, bring your group out to the ballpark. Get a great discount on the ticket price. Call today. Learn how each member of your group can get a raise hat. Call 888-FAN-RAISE. For more info, you're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. We'll talk Rays pitching with Andy Sonnenstein and Hall of Fame Day with Hal Bodley of MLB.com right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solans. We talked rumors with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. We talk in current terms with former Rays pitcher Andy Sonnenstein. Sonny, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you. Let's touch on the pitching staff, because since the All-Star break, it has been improved, especially the last five days. Five straight quality starts. I mean, it's hard to believe we're in late July, and it's the first time that's happened. But how hard is it to turn a season around individually and as a group when things aren't going well? It's pretty tough. I think one of the big things that you need to do is, you know, not so much look in big picture. We have to win every start. We have to win all these games to try, you know, start playing catch-up. I think it's you know, take it start by start, inning by inning, and give it, you know, give some quality performances. And since the break, the guys have been looking good. You know, there's been a couple tight ball games where, you know, it would have been beneficial for the Rays to get a couple more runs. But, you know, it looks like the guys are doing pretty well. They have, you know, five straight quality starts, but the guy who's probably been the most consistent of the group has been Matt Moore. I mean, we're at now nine starts where he's gone six innings or more. What's the biggest thing that you notice about Matt and the way he's pitching right now? Uh, honestly, I like I like his consistency. I like his confidence on the mound. He's throwing some strikes, and uh, you know he's just a good dude. I, I feel like he's one of the you know not so vocal leaders in the clubhouse. And as long as he keeps going about his business, you know that starts to be infectious to all the other guys in the rotation and on the staff. That can be hard this time of year, as you know. I mean, here we sit eight days before the trading deadline. Can you give some perspective as a former player what this period is like, especially now? I mean, with social media, you're hearing more and more rumors all the time. Yeah, it's definitely got to be tough, especially, like you said, with the social media. Um, you, you try not, you're going to hear things, you know, whether, whether they're true, whether they're not true. 
I mean, I remember a situation with Zobris and Brignac where we saw, you know, something on SportsCenter that they'd been traded, and that wasn't the case, you know. Reed was, you know, in between saying goodbye to some people. So, you know, until it's final, you know, you have to have that mindset of, you know, I'm here, I'm pitching for this team, until I'm not. You know, if you, if you, you know, start thinking way too far down the line, it can really start hurting you a little bit. Does it creep into a clubhouse? I mean, is it something that is talked about on a regular basis or guys to themselves? What's what's your experience? Uh, I do think it creeps into the clubhouse a little bit. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit. We always got, you know, sports center, baseball tonight, watching other games, you know, and commentators are going to bring it up. But, you know, like I said, you know, you're playing for that organization until you're not. And, you know, you, you just can't. You can't dwell too much on on things that are uncertain or opinions of other people. So it's it it, it is kind of a, a tough situation to get through. You just have to be solid in your work ethic and creatures that have it. You know, like just stay with your routine. To me, probably, and we're chatting with Andy Seinenstein again on this week in race baseball. The most impressive thing is here we are getting closer to the deadline, and we've probably seen maybe the best starting pitching from the Rays during a period where it may be hardest to focus. Right, for sure. You know, that's uh, whether that's a fluke or not, um, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to play for yourself. You know, there's not too many Kirby Puckets out there. Tony Gwynn's that play 20 years for the same organization. You know, it seems like today there's a lot more movement than back then. So, you know, it is impressive. Maybe, maybe a little bit of a... Great talks are helping these performances. I don't know. Blake Snell goes today. Certainly, he probably doesn't feel much of the pressure or the surroundings in terms of, you know, trades or anything like that because this is just his eighth major league start. How much of him have you seen and what have you liked? He's come up with two straight quality starts now out of the break. A little bit. I think he's got quality stuff. I think, you know, with the more starts that he gets, the more comfort level is going to rise with him. Uh, I think um, a lot of his stuff is, you know, if, if he can get out early and, you know, watch more or Archer with their work ethic and how they attack hitters and hop in that video room, I, I think there's a real high ceiling for this kid. I, I like what he's bringing to the table. Well, we appreciate what you brought to the table today when it comes to raise pitching and uh, hopefully – uh, you know, it'll be interesting to track what happens at the deadline, and I'm sure we'll catch up afterwards once the dust is settled. All right. Appreciate it, Neil. Thanks for having me on. You got it. That's former Rays pitcher Andy Sonnenstein, Hall of Fame Day, meanwhile, in Cooperstown, New York. And who better to have on as the ceremony goes on than the dean of Major League Baseball writers from MLB.com, Hal Bodley with us. Hal, thanks very much for a few minutes. How are you doing today? What a great day for baseball. Always at Cooperstown for the induction ceremonies. Uh, I did 42 of those consecutively, and uh, there's nothing like induction day at Cooperstown. What was your favorite one and why? Well, you know, I I was thinking about that the other day as I listened to some of the talk about, uh, you know, the boys that were going in this year. Uh, I think maybe the one I remember the most, Neil, was 2001. Uh, That was Bill Mazeroski. Do you remember that Mm -hmm. Sunday? Bill goes to the microphone to start his speech of acceptance uh, at Cooperstown with a large crowd out there. 
And he says about two words, he starts crying and sits down. He couldn't give his speech because he was so overcome by emotion. And I remember, you know, you always remember what you wrote about a certain thing. And I remember my lead to my story that day was Tom Hanks had it wrong. There is crying in baseball because he did cry. That was one I really remembered an awful lot. But over the years, there have been a lot of them. There's nothing quite like being there for induction weekend. A couple thoughts on that, Hal, and, and to me it's it's a moment for Major League Baseball that really should be cherished and celebrated, and here we've got the Hall of Fame ceremony, and I'm chatting with you as Ken Griffey Jr. gives his induction speech. I, I heard pieces of Mike Piazza's. We've got 14 Major League Baseball games going on. Would it be – my thought was, and I tweeted about this earlier today, either do one of two things, either add lights in Cooperstown and have no Sunday night game and make it the Sunday night ceremony – or every Major League Baseball game across America opens at noon or 1. The ceremonies are shown on a video board, and nobody starts playing until 4 o'clock that afternoon, and you start warming up at 3. I mean, to me, it should be the centerpiece of the day for, for the game. It really should. I think we should pause for it, no matter how they do it. I mean, you had some very good ideas. I think we should pause for this because, as I've said, and I keep repeating myself, uh, this is such a special day. Uh, you have to be there. You have to have enjoyed it to, to realize how important it is to the game. Neil, many, many times we've had the Cooperstown induction ceremonies during a work stoppage or during you know and talks with the union and the players when they weren't able to get together on a basic agreement and that type of thing. But yet you always seem to be able to put that on the back burner for this special day when these new players, these new Hall of Famers, these new greats are inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I want to touch on the two guys who are going in today from the players' side. I mean, let's start with Ken Griffey Jr. Any stories that you care to relate? I mean, here's a guy who spent a lot of time in, in Florida, in the Orlando area. Really, I, I when he was younger and he was playing with Seattle, I sat down with him uh, and his dad at the same time and did an interview. I remember an awful lot about that uh, he talked about you know growing up in Cincinnati and, and how important his father was as a mentor and that type of thing. And I remember that an awful lot. And Piazza, I, I talked an awful lot to Tommy Lasorda because if it weren't for Tommy Lasorda, uh, I don't think we'd be seeing what we're seeing today with Mike Piazza because he gave him a chance. He was dra- drafted way, way down the line. And then, of course, he became an all-star and now a Hall of Famer. Uh, he liked to talk an awful lot about that. Another thing that he liked to talk about, and it came home to me a bit, was that when he grew up in the Philadelphia area, he loved Mike Schmidt. He loved to go to Veterans Stadium and see Mike Schmidt play and the Philadelphia Phillies. So he talked a lot about that when uh, when I got to sit down and talk with him. Let's touch more a little bit on Junior. What made him so special to you as one of the greatest of all time in this game? I believe that the fact that he was, you know, had so many tools and the fact that he had had a presence. I mean, he loved the game and he showed the passion for the game. Uh, and, and he did it, you know, without the, at the aid of steroids and some of the things that other players have, uh, have you know, had those problems recently. I, I think the fact that he had, you know, so much talent, he embraced the game, he had so much passion, and he, no matter what the, the situation was, he gave it his best. And uh, really, he was, uh, you know, a Hall of Famer. We thought talking about him when he was so young that he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, that's what I remember most about him. And talked to Lou Pinella a lot about him when he played with Seattle. Uh, you know, just a really good team player. I mean, the thing that's amazing to me is here's a guy who had 12 DL stints and almost 500 days or, or a couple of years on the DL. And I imagine what if he were even healthier? I mean, 
he could have put a, he could have all the all time records. In terms he really of, could. He really could. And there were there were times I think when he was so much younger, we thought he was going to have all those records before he did have the injuries and uh, and those types of things that happened to him. And it's the really the yin and yang today. I mean, in terms of the fact that Junior's going in, he was a top pick, and you have the the lowest round pick in Mike Piazza's sixty second round choice, the lowest ever to make it into the Hall of Fame. But you know what? They're both going in the front door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just goes to show that uh, it doesn't really matter where you're picked. So many times, the number one draft pick, the top draft picks don't make it. It's the guy that has a lot of desire and energy and heart to play the game that gets to the Hall of Fame, and that's certainly what Mike Piazza did. And certainly talent doesn't hurt, and he had tremendous talent. How did he change the game in your mind? Because, I mean, I look at King Griffey Jr. as a game changer, and you mentioned some of his great attributes. How about Mike Piazza and his? Well, I think the fact that he hit the ball so well. I mean, you know, it was a long ball hitter. I mean, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, the state-of-the-art catcher might have been Johnny Bench. I mean, he was a Hall of Famer, of course, and, and one of the best ever. But Piazza did it all. I mean, he, he had a great, great rapport with his pitchers. He could call an excellent game, but yet he was very, very good on offense also. So I think, you know, as, as we keep saying, a Hall of Famer, Neil, has to be have the total package. He has to have all the tools, and I think that he certainly had that. He also had something that I think has changed the game today, and that's opposite field power. I mean, how often did we talk about guys who could hit for power the opposite way before Mike Piazza? Most home run hitters were more pull hitters, and now you're seeing so many guys who do go the other way and hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's, that's true. I mean, really, he, he had that opposite power. But, uh, you know, he, he could always come through with a big hit in the clutch. And I think that uh, that's one of the big things I remember most about him. He always could come up with the hit that he needed to come up with. He could, you know, even with a bad team at times, he was always, you know, able to come up with that big hit and, you know, bring a game back onto uh, even ground, that type of thing for a team that looked like was out of that particular game. We're chatting with Hal Bodley, again, the Dean of Major League Baseball writers from MLB.com, uh, with 42 trips to the to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which is going on uh, as we speak. And, and Hal, you know, as you take a look at, at you know, the, the two that are going in here, Baseball is always kind of connected to, you know, social uh, events. And both Ken Griffey Jr., I watched some programming earlier today, and Mike Piazza have strong connections to post-9-11 in the games thereafter. I mean, how important is that in the sense of what these guys did off the field as much as the moments they created on it? Well, you know, I think it really, really is very, very important, Neil. You talk about today's... uh to electees, how important they were, and, and the social, and, and, that, and that type of thing. But I think back to all of the times that I went to Cooperstown, and you could sit down and you could talk to Ted Williams, you could talk to Bob Feller, you could talk to, to these players that had to give up time playing the game to you know, serve in the country, and how important it was for them. And various events would happen during the course of the years, and we would talk about those. That, that was probably the most important thing that I remember about induction ceremonies, being able to sit down and talk to the Stan Musials and the Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio's over the years. And, and it always comes back to, you know, baseball, yes, but the country was so important to them and what they could do for the country and for, and for the citizenry of the country. Certainly a very different era. Hal, in terms of the guys that you did interview over the years in Cooperstown, who was the most interesting interview to you and why? Well, you know, I think probably Ted Williams, because we, you know, he would love to sit in the Otisaga Hotel 
you know, on the morning of the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, or maybe even Saturday, the day before the ceremony, he would kind of hold court, and you could sit down and talk to him about a lot of things. And I love to listen to Ted talk about hitting. Uh, I like to listen to Bob Feller talk about pitching. I mean, these these players, you know, they they had such great uh, a great presence when they would sit down and and talk to the writers. I mean, we could just it, it just doesn't happen. I don't think so much today when you could. You know, talk to them about the way they played the game. I think back to, you know, Stan Musial when he would stand up on the stage at the induction ceremonies and play his harmonica. <laughs> and uh, Tom Seaver would talk about, the, you know, bringing wine to this very closed dinner that they have on Sunday night for just the Hall of Famers when they're presented their rings. Uh, those are all sort of memories that kind of run together, but they're so important, I think, to the Hall of Fame and to America and to baseball. Thanks very much, Hal, for sharing all your stories today, and we appreciate having a Hall of Fame-type writer with us on our show. Always my pleasure. Thank you. Again, that's Hal Bodley of MLB.com. Thanks to him and all our guests, Blake Snell, Jake McGee, Mark Topkin, Justin Marks, and Andy Sonnenstein, and thanks to producer John Milo. Next week, get to know more about Kevin Jepsen, and if you ever have something you want to hear on the show, just tweet me at Neil Solons. I am Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network.